Good morning, Restoration. Happy Sunday. Uh, this is week three of kind of a new reality. And I just wanted to just take a moment and share a few things with you um, just in the midst of all this, this crazy time. I know that many of us are just trying to adjust to this new reality, trying to figure out how to do life. Uh, how to interact, how to uh, connect with people, how to parent our kids and teach our kids, how to follow Jesus, how to look at our world without a whole bunch of fear and um, anxiety. And so this morning, I just wanted to encourage us before we begin some of our teaching in Mark that um, we're in a, obviously in a really important moment. And over a year ago, we did a series in the book of Daniel, and we called it Citizens and Exiles. And we talked about how we're citizens of another kingdom, and in the sense, we're kind of living as exiles within our current culture. Well, now there's like some interesting things to think about, right? Last year, we talked about being a creative minority and how it looks to live out following Jesus in a creative way in the time that we live. And how, as followers of Jesus, we have to start really taking this seriously. Like, what does it look like to live creatively in a, a certain context? And I think that's here for us. I think that's really evident for us. And obviously, everybody, follower Jesus or not, are experiencing this new reality. But last year, I remember using a quote, and you may remember too, from a guy named John Tyson. He's a pastor in New York City. And he wrote this, a Christian community is a web of stubbornly loyal relationships knotted together in a living network of persons in a complex and challenging cultural setting who are committed to practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of the world. And I just don't think there's a better time for us to really lean in on this, um, especially as we're faced with the economic realities and the loss of jobs and, and um, just the sadness of losing life events and things that we were really looking forward to. Um, there's a, just a new rhythm and a new uh, normal for all of us. And so I want to encourage you to reflect on that. I would encourage you to reflect on that together and to see what it looks like for us as a church as we kind of step further into this. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into our teaching on the Gospel of Mark, okay? God, this morning we are showing up again uh, virtually, and it's hard. Uh, we miss each other. We miss contact. We miss... Um, interaction. We miss the joys of just physical touch and physical um, proximity. And yet this morning we're reminded that it's not all about those things. And it's not all about teaching. It's about what you're doing to pull us into a new way of following you. And it's hard. And so this morning we ask that you would be with us, that you would still our hearts, and that we would hear a familiar passage, maybe in a new way. We pray these things in your name. 
Amen. So we're in this series called Drop Everything, and I'm going to read this story um, out of Mark chapter 2. It's verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could, get, could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of, of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Now, what's interesting is if you've been following the story, there was an instance a few, uh, a few weeks ago that we talked about that Jesus is in Capernaum. He's at Peter and Andrew's house, um, and there's a, an amazing thing that happens. It's on the Sabbath. Um, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then everybody hears about this, and at the end of the Sabbath, they all bring uh, the demon-possessed and the sick to Jesus, and he's healing people late into the night. Well, then Jesus leaves. He has a moment. He, he realizes he needs to keep doing this in other places. He goes out. Um, he heals this man with leprosy uh, that Dan's been talking about the last couple weeks. And now he's returning to Capernaum, okay? He's going home. This is where he calls home. This is his home base of operations. And he's back at Peter and Andrew's house. And I love how Mark says he returned home. Like Jesus is coming home. He's, he's, maybe he's hoping to relax. I don't know, but he's at home. And they, and they gather, people hear he's coming, and they gather in such large numbers that he begins to teach. And what he begins to do is he's actually preaching the same message he's been preaching this whole time. He's, he's preaching that the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. And, and part of Jesus' message goes back to chapter 1, verse 15, where he says that the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and trust. Repent and believe the good news. And so uh, this is Jesus' announcement. This is what he's been saying this whole time, everywhere he goes. And he's basically saying, I am God, come to earth. I am God, come to earth, to Israel, to this group of people to lead you into a new reality. And he's, he's really kind of challenging the things that they 
have come to know about who God is. Because he's basically telling them, I'm teaching you, I'm showing you a kind of freedom, right? A kind of freedom that you have never thought was possible, that you couldn't even imagine. And so he's sitting here in this home and these people are coming and he's preaching to them and he's giving them a vision of this new reality. Richard Bachman in one of his books writes that Jesus's vision of God's rule was not, uh, was not of a Jewish state liberated from Roman rule, but a society formed by God's healing and God's forgiveness and grace. A people sustained by God's fatherly provision, inclusive of all those who tend to be left out or pushed to the margins of society. Characterized not by domination, but by mutual service, and on which all status and privilege are replaced by brotherly and sisterly and motherly relationships of mutuality. So this idea that Jesus is saying, this is something totally new. And he's preaching this message. And so Jesus shows up back at home and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And then it says in verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get to him because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. Now, a real quick background on house architecture. It sounds exciting, but um, homes were built, and we talked about this a few weeks back, with stone, with basalt stones. And so when it says, everybody tells us that Jesus was a carpenter, he was actually more of a mason. Uh, he was more of a stone builder. And, and yes, he did use wood, and, and, and these houses were built four walls with stone, and then on top there would be some large beams intersecting, and then some smaller uh, branches, and it would be packed with mud. Uh, they would actually take mud and just pack it from top and bottom, and then on top would be thatched, and it would actually deflect the rain. And so literally, these guys climbed up a little staircase. Usually homes had little staircases to get to the top of the roof because occasionally people would want to vent their roofs when it was really hot. And these guys climbed up this stairway and hoisted their friend up there and then began to dig through the roof, literally because it's dirt. And says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. He didn't heal him and he was paralyzed. And, and, and from this point before this, he was just healing the sick and healing, uh, casting out demons and, and doing that kind of stuff. But this is the first time in the gospel of Mark that Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there. It says in verse six, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow, I love how the word fellows in there. It's like he's British. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And it says that immediately Jesus knew what they were thinking. Like Jesus could tell that they were thinking this. They don't say it out loud. They're just thinking this. And so what's interesting about this story is, is we're going to get into this. What are these 12 verses about? Like, really, what is this story about? 
I mean, yes, it's about healing and it's about forgiveness. Don't get me wrong. And we're going to get to that. And it's really important. And those are great parts to the story. And there's other great parts, the digging the roof, the four guys, you know, and I've heard at men's, you know, like men's events where there'll be a story or, or, or the main sermon is, who are your four guys that are going to lower you into a, you know, whatever. But here's the thing. The first part and the most important part of the story is that this is the first time that Jesus confronts the scribes. Now, who are scribes? Well, remember the exile. If you back up about 400 years, the Jews are taken into exile into Babylon. And what Babylonian uh, captivity meant was, and 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 they had a formula for it. They would take a group of people, a nation, and split them up in different parts of their country. And this was on purpose. The point was, is that through their tolerance, through their cultural tolerance of the Jewish people or, or any nation, that those people would be drawn into their culture. And so think about this. The people of Israel are in captivity for 70 years. That's a few generations. And over 70 years time, a lot can change to a culture. And so many Jewish people never assimilated to Babylonian captivity. They never assimilated. They, some people did. But we have record that whole nations just got wiped out because of this. Meaning other nations besides the, the people of Israel were taken into captivity, whether it would be the Assyrians or the Babylonians. And they were absolutely, completely wiped out their culture because nobody... Uh, because they assimilated right into Babylonian captivity. And so here's what's so important about the work of the scribes. The scribes were actually the heroes of captivity for the people of Israel because they took the Torah and they took the prophets and they took all of these things and they made copies. They made copies of these scrolls and these texts and they pushed them out to all these different places in Babylonian captivity for the people of Israel to remember. Now, what's key is, is they had a three-part duty. They were to write, they were to set an order, and they were to count. And they would count, literally count the words. And so when they were meticulously scribing out scripture, it was passed on and defended and immaculately recorded exactly the same way. And so the scribes literally were the heroes because what they did was is they kept the culture of the people of Israel while they were in captivity. Now, what happened if you fast forward 400 years is once they were a group of people, men of stature, kind of hidden doing the work of preserving uh, the, the word of God, you fast forward 400 years and they had actually become almost like politicians and lawyers and, and experts. And they would keep a watchful eye on everything taught by every rabbi that came through. So eventually, 
the commentary of the scribes, or what we, we hear here, teachers of the law, their commentary actually became more important and more sought out than the actual scripture. And this became kind of a big deal. Ultimately, they became celebrities in their culture. And so this is the first time that Jesus confronts them. And why is this important to us? Well, it's very important because let me give you an example. How things start out, sometimes things start out really good, good intentions. And then over time, they lose their way. They lose the plot. Think about um, the Methodist church in America. I'm not going to pick on them uh, because all of us churches actually go through a series of drifting off mission. A guy named Rodney Stark wrote a book about the history of the American church. And he talks about an example of the Methodist church. And Methodism uh, was this most, one of the most influential movements in, in American Christianity. And what would happen is uh, circuit riders or like cowboys, like just outlaws, would come to follow Jesus. And then they would be put into service riding over the frontier, riding into some really scary places to preach the gospel. In fact, there are, there are just great stories about this all over um, some of the history we have. And one of the things that happened is, is the Methodist church just sprang up everywhere. Um, there was just like a huge revival in the frontier. In fact, it was said that there were more Methodist churches than post offices at one time. And this was kind of a big deal. And Rodney Stark talks about how this once uh, kind of crazy, reckless, uh, radically obedient movement of following Jesus actually at some point turned. And, and, and it became uh, this educated, kind of elite, dignified group of people. Uh, and over time, it became stuffy and elite-hearted, and it, and it lost its kind of gospel, passionate edge. And that's what happened with the scribes. That's what happened with the scribes in Daniel's day, fast forward 400 years into Jesus's day, and now they're just kind of this uppity, legalistic, pointing figures, uh, fingers, um, and, and they're kind of celebrities. And one of the biggest things, if I'm really honest, that I struggle with in my life as your pastor is cynicism and um, keeping my heart tender towards Jesus. Because here's the thing, I see all the tricks and the gimmicks. I see, um, and sometimes if I'm honest, I sometimes discount uh, moments where God is actually at work because I question the theology behind it or uh, the individual being a part of it. I, and it's something I, I genuinely struggle with, this cynicism. And so even looking at this passage, I'm, I'm having to ask myself, am I more of a scribe? Like, where do I fit into this? And so maybe you're like me, and maybe cynicism has overwhelmed you. Maybe you're not as quick as you used to be to raise your hand and say, okay, God, 
I'll jump in here, I'll do that, I'll reach out, I'll be obedient. Uh, maybe you're like me and sometimes we lose the plot. Sometimes we lose this idea of what Jesus is actually doing around us. But let's get into these two other pieces, the forgiveness and the healing, because these are really important. See, the power of forgiveness is huge. And this is the first time that Jesus actually says your sins are forgiven. I remember talking to a Christian counselor one day and I, I, the word, he's a Christian, he's a follower of Jesus and he counsels. So let me just say that. And he tells me that most of his clients are other followers of Jesus. And he says, if I could, he told me, if I could come up with a cure for guilt, he said, I would lose 75% of my business. And this is with people who follow Jesus. This is with people who have some level of understanding of what forgiveness is. And he says, deal with primarily, he deals with primarily people who are followers of Jesus and they can't get rid of guilt. They struggle so much with this. And let me just say this. Did Jesus have the authority to forgive sins? Well, yeah. But the scribes didn't think so. And that's why this is such a big deal. Because this, as they thought to themselves, this is blasphemy. But the wonder of Jesus, right? Like this wonder of Jesus that he can and does forgive sins is such an enormous thing. Now let's, let's get really clear about what we're talking about when we talk about sin. As a quote from Tim Keller I want to read you. He says, when the Bible talks about sin... It is not just referring to the bad things we do. It's, it's not just lying or lust or whatever the case may be. It is ignoring God in the world he has made. It's rebelling against him by living without reference to him. It's saying, I will decide exactly how to live my life. And Jesus says, that is our main problem. So in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, whenever there's forgiveness, there's usually healing, and they usually go together. And this case is no different. See, we need to remember that healing was the whole reason why these four guys brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They wanted him physically healed. But Jesus saw a deeper need. And usually that's the case with all of us. Jesus sees a deeper need. We come to Jesus with all sorts of things, but he's always looking at the deeper need. Jesus takes away our sin just like he heals a disease or he heals this paralyzed man. In fact, the same words are used. The same Greek word that he uses when he heals uh, Peter's mother-in-law, when it says the fever left, it's the same word he uses here, that your sins are forgiven. They're gone. They're stopped, they're ceased, they're eliminated, they're, they're gone. And so you may be asking, can God actually do anything with me? And the answer is yes. Overwhelmingly yes. He can't give you those five years back or those 20 years back in your life. He can't change the consequences of the things that we've chosen in our lives. 
but he can give you what Paul calls adoption into sonship or daughtership. This idea that we are now part of God's inheritance, that we are a part of God's kingdom, that we have a new family and we can't be denied and we can't be uh, pushed aside, that God has actually wrapped his arms around us and we are completely his. And so this idea of forgiveness in scripture is the idea that whatever it is that you bring before God, it ends today. Like it literally ends, it ceases, it stops. And so think about our current moment, all that's going on around us. I just think this is an incredible metaphor for a broken world, like a broken life. We, this virus has happened and it's highly contagious. The fear, the lockdown, the isolation, that's what sin does at our deepest level. That's what sin does. And so imagine you wake up tomorrow morning and all of a sudden this virus is gone. Health professionals, no one's sick anymore. Health professionals are scratching their head. Uh, There's no trace of the virus anymore. It ceases. It's gone. Can you imagine like the world celebration that would happen? It would be like V-Day. It would be an incredible moment in our world. That's what forgiveness is. That's what it looks like. Imagine that kind of feeling that it's gone. And there's this new life ahead of us. And so there's the forgiveness piece, but then there's this interesting healing part as we wrap up. It says in verse 10, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And I think there's a reason why Mark's saying this. Look at this. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So Jesus is communicating something here. He's saying there's a reason why I forgave his sins and then healed him physically. And the reason was, is he wanted to communicate that he can forgive sins and that there was the deeper healing that what, that's what God is all about is something much deeper than just these surface or fleshly ailments that we have. I got to be honest with you, like in the last two, two and a half weeks with all of this crisis going on, I've had a number of people come to me and talk to me about things in their life, whether they be physical or emotional or are just really deep um, healing that they need. And these things have been not necessarily brought up because of the crisis we're in, but they definitely have a little bit more, a little bit more pain to them because of it. Does God heal? Yes. Absolutely, God heals. And, but, but Jesus wants us to know, and he wanted the people in Mark's day to know, that he's not merely a miracle worker. 
He's a savior. See, all the things that we deal with in our lives, not every paralyzed person was healed by Jesus that day. Not all the things that we have in our lives will get healed. They may get healed, and we believe that God can heal them. But ultimately, what God is after, what Jesus is after, is deeper than anything we're experiencing right now. And so this morning, for some of us, put yourself in one of these places. Um, For some of us, you may have been hearing the Spirit push into you when we talk about the scribes, when we talk about cynicism, when we talk about losing the plot, when we talk about this kind of detached view of what God is doing. And maybe you started out in your following of Jesus like really excited, really passionate, really ready to do anything for God. And over the years, you've kind of gotten hurt, kind of gotten frustrated, kind of beaten yourself up a bit. And you find yourself in a position, maybe with age or with uh, circumstance, that you're like, you know what, I've done enough and I'm just going to ride this out. I want to encourage you. God wants to heal and he wants to pull you out of your cynicism. For for some of you today, you're captivated by the idea of God's forgiveness and how that could actually play out in your life. And maybe in this season, as there's less to do and you're isolated, maybe some of those regrets and some of that Uh, brokenness in your life and some of those decisions have actually started to come to the surface. God wants to forgive you. God wants to say today that that is over, that that is done, that that ceases, that that stops. And for some of you today, um, it's an issue of healing. You have someone who's terminal in your life. You have Uh, some things that you're not sure what they are. You're not sure what this diagnosis could be. Some of you, it could be emotional stuff and wounding in your past and things like that. And and you're sitting here and you're like, well, does God actually heal that? Yeah. It doesn't totally go away in the sense of, of memories and things like that. But the Spirit is so powerful that the Spirit of God knows your story and He loves you Jesus is not sleeping in the boat. He's not watching from a distance. He's right with you. He is God with us. So I want to lead us in some prayer as we close. Maybe it's a prayer of repentance for you. Maybe it's a prayer of healing. Let's just use this moment to call upon God to see through. God, we just come before you and for some of us it's just a moment to pray a prayer of repentance we've we've missed your plot we've missed this story we've become cynical we're like the scribes and we've we we look in 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 judgment on things that are happening around us um, and in your church we're skeptical of what you're actually doing in others. 
And God, we just want to repent of that. We just want to put all that aside. We want to uh, just be invited again back into what you're doing. And for some of us this morning, we're actually praying a prayer of healing. And whether it's over our mind and our, and our memories and our brokenness, maybe it's a, an actual physical need we have right now or, or a, a healing that, or a need of somebody else. God, we, just, we know you can heal. And we know that this is possible because you've done it. And God, finally, we, we ask a prayer of forgiveness. God, that you have been the one um, to show us that forgiveness is possible. And you forgive us uh, this in a, such a deep way. It's so much bigger than, than what we could ever ask or imagine, this, this forgiveness that you give us. You want to go into the deep places of our lives. And as we're sitting at home and we're more, more isolated and, and some of those regrets and memories are coming up in our lives, God, would you, would you make this the day that those are done, that we are free, that that is over? And will you separate from us our sin as the East is from the West? God, we're so grateful. Thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.